0: Hello! Welcome back to Archives of Fabella. Raise your hand if you love this podcast. Did you do it? This is an audio recording, so I can't tell. But hey, while you have that hand in the air, take a moment to rate the podcast. Five stars, if you'd be so kind. After listening to this episode, head over to Patreon for more exclusive content. The number one thing I love about writing Archives of Fabella is its versatility. I can basically do anything I want and play with structure in ways other series can't. This is going to be one of those episodes that break that normal third-person limited narrative structure that I've built. I find it helps to keep things fresh. This is an idea I've wanted to do for years and have been kicking around in my head for a long time like a soccer ball or football if you're outside of the United States. I was saving it for later, but recent events with coronavirus made it kind of a timely episode. My sister and sister-in-law are both teachers. The education system has been impacted significantly by coronavirus as teachers like them are forced to adapt to hold their classes online. It's a struggle for both parents and educators to make sure these kids get the attention that they need to succeed. Teachers are heroes for what they do day in and day out, rarely getting the attention they deserve. So I wanted to put together an episode to honor that work. We're going to flash forward a bit. There will not be a bonus summary for this episode because it doesn't really lend itself to that. So if finding time to listen to a longer episode like this is hard, I'd like to suggest you put it on when you go for a run, or are doing laundry and driving to work. Without further ado, let's listen in on a class taught at St. Tara's Academy of Magic and Science in the winter of 1987. Put on your listening caps, all you young witches and wizards, because class is in session. I'm Dylan Foley, and this is Archives of Fabella. Beyond our world, there is love. Beyond our world, there is war. Beyond our world, there is life. Beyond our world, there is Fabella. year 5987 fy fabella year equal to 1987 a.d earth year
1: Come in. Wands away. Wands away, please.
2: Professor Emmett, have you finished grading our tests?
1: (sighs) Not yet.
2: Uh, Can't you just tell me if I did well or not?
1: You'll know when I finish grading your test. Take your seat. But- Take your seat. Mr. Emmett, Professor. My dad says that if we ask, he'll show us the sword. Which one? The Blade of Everlasting Light, or the Katana of Unyielding Savage Misfortune? I thought it was called the Katana of Shadows. Not when I hold it, kiddo. You
0: misspelled Sagittarius on the blackboard, Professor. There are two T's.
1: It's the old spelling. No, it's not. Which of us here is 5,900 years old? You or me? Age has nothing to do with it. But the title of professor does, so take a seat if you don't want to be marked down. Shutting up. All right, everyone, take your seats. This is Agent History of Fabella 101. If you are here for musical theater, you are sorely out of luck. Today is Sagittarius 13th, 5987. As always, extra credit will be given to anyone who can tell me the historical event that happened on this day. I died of boredom. (laughs) I can arrange that, Mr. Claxton.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Let's hear from someone who doesn't have a death wish. Yes, Miss Eversall.
2: The first genie. In? 5782?
1: Right here. Yeah. Wrong date. The genies made their first appearance in Gemini of 5782. Not Sagittarius, half point of extra credit. Take another two for the courage to go fast. Anyone else? Mr. Tremont, I see you in the back.
0: The Battle of Red Winter in 5944.
1: Yes, yes, the Battle of Red Winter was a major conflict in the Second Continental War. Nice job. One point extra credit. Who else wants to go while I'm handing out points like candy? No one? Going once, going twice, gone. Today we're continuing our unit on the first four ages of Fabella. Who can tell me- Miss Avery, what did I say about wands? Put it away. Who can tell me what we've covered so far? Tremont, put your hand down. Let someone else answer a question for a change. Mr. Barton- Thank you for volunteering. We learned how Fabella was born. That's an easy one, but I'll give it to you. What else? Yes, Miss Kramer. Uh,
2: uh, the first dogs to be domesticated and the birth of the wheel.
1: Yes, yes. Everyone loved that one, didn't they? Who's that way in the back there? Miss Hudson? What have you got for me?
2: We learned how the colony of Runca Solis was started.
1: Good job. You were all right. Glad to see I'm making some kind of an impression. Today we're going to discuss the Battle of Olympia. Let's begin by taking out our history books and turning to page 151. Can I please get a volunteer to read the overview? Okay, fine, Mr. Tremont, you may proceed.
0: Overview for the Battle of Olympia. The Battle of Olympia occurred in the year 3975. It was the final battle of the Clash of Empires between the forces of the Fantasian Republic under the leadership of the Olympians and the Shiba Union. The Sheba Union declared this war ostensibly to reclaim land of their forefathers in Cathara, occupied by the Fantasian Republic. The battle involved 250,000 troops in one of the largest wars of the Age of Marvels. Zeus, king of the Olympians, and Apollo faced Sheban general Roxix while Hades defended the plains outside the city, and... Uh... Go ahead. Say it. General Emmett led most of the troops on the shores of the Nellius Peninsula.
1: That's right. I was there. I know some of you dream of being immortal. I'm here to tell you it's not a gift. When you have the ability to remember faces of every person you've lost, every life you've taken, every love that's gotten away. But that isn't a gift. It's a curse. I defended Olympia not because Fantasia was at war with Sheba, but because that's where my family was. I won't lie to you. Sheba's history of... Being descended from the Puntian Empire and the Titans was a major deciding factor. I didn't want to lead troops into battle. In fact, looking back at the whole affair, I, I wish I didn't. We can't talk about Sheba without first talking about Punt, when Empire was descended from the other, of course. Now, Who can fill the class in on Ancient Punt? Okay gang, let's discuss this. Punt was an ancient civilization of Cathara concentrated along the lower reaches of the Ambison Cove. Herpes were first to lead Punt with the unification of Sobek Cadmus. Punt was the most powerful empire in Fabella until its collapse, which gave rise to the Sheba Union. Start writing. This is going to be on the test. Punt reached the pinnacle of its power during the Age of Dynasties, where it acted as the main armed forces for the Titans' rise to power. The success of ancient Puntian civilization came directly from advanced knowledge of agriculture and military techniques. With resources to spare, mineral exploitation of the valley and surrounding woodland regions commenced. Punt had the early development of an independent writing system, the organization of collective construction and agricultural projects, trade with surrounding regions and a military force no other power could compete with. Motivating and organizing these activities was the bureaucracy of elite scribes, religious leaders, and administrators under the control of a Sobek, who ensured the cooperation and unity of the Puntian people. The many achievements of the Puntians included the quarrying, surveying, and construction techniques that supported the building of monumental obelisks, stepped pyramids, and temples, a system of mathematics, a practical and effective system of medicine, irrigation systems, and agriculture production techniques, the first known planked boats, and new forms of literature.
2: I thought the Puteans were evil.
1: Evil is mostly a point of view. It's only a small selection that I would consider threatening enough that they should be removed from society by any means necessary. I wouldn't be doing my job as a teacher if I didn't teach you that lesson, and I have trouble remembering it as well. It's natural to cast our enemies as villains. They do the same to us. Now... Did the Puntian Empire do things I didn't agree with? Absolutely. We can't ignore the fact that the ancient Punt is responsible for several major innovations in history. To close ourselves off to that truth because of biased opinions isn't fair to you guys. And it sure as hell ain't right.
2: But the Puntians worship the Titans.
1: Yes. They did, and that would be a significant mark in the con column.
0: The titans used magic,
1: right? Actually, the first group of titans I faced off against in the Sea People's Rebellion and the Clash of Gods didn't all practice magic.
0: But I thought titan meant evil wizards.
1: It does. Or, more accurately, wizards who use their magic for devious methods. Remember what I said about the word evil. Getting back to your question, though. The word titan didn't become exclusively attached to magic users until about a century after the first generation of titans were removed from power by the Olympians. Now that we're on the subject, let's shift our discussion to the Olympians. They were, of course, the defenders of Phantasia during the battle, and Olympia was their capital in the Republic. The Olympians were worshipped as gods, but they were all really just powerful sorcerers in a time when most people didn't know magic. They gained their name from vanquishing the titans on the summit of Mount Olympus on Earth.
0: My friend says he went to Earth once.
2: Wow. I heard tickets there were expensive. His family must be loaded.
1: If I gave you the impression I wanted to hear about your friend, that must have been an accident.
2: And it's true that everyone there is human?
1: All people. Yes.
2: Have you ever been there?
1: Many times look this isn't a class on earth we'll have more time to discuss it later let's get back on track history likes to paint the olympians as heroes but they were really nothing more than ancient celebrities zeus was the worst offender of all i'll admit that he had some small moments of heroism But he had no place taking command of Olympia's troops. The units under his command fought poorly, with low discipline, nonexistent tactical coordination, and an amateurish lack of leadership. The camps were overrun with sexually transmitted diseases like herpes and syphilis, because prostitutes would literally be shipped to lay with the troops. Zeus saw sex as a morale booster. Eve. I uh, probably shouldn't have said that. Sounds like a party. Moving on. The whole clash of Empires affair started when Sobek Tiborus of the Sheba Union requested that artifacts from Punt be turned over to their government. They didn't want land at all. Zeus not only refused to send the artifacts but sent his reply with a worthless clay pot full of his piss. I shouldn't have said that either. This dude sounds so hardcore. Zeus was a bully while in power. His actions were reprehensible and led to thousands of innocent deaths. That is not a legacy to aspire to, Mr. Claxton. That goes for all of you as well. Zeus's despicable behavior led directly to the invasion of the Sheban Empire to take back their land by force. I took up arms and command to protect my family. If all the Shebans wanted was to give Zeus the spanking he deserved, I would have led them straight to his bedroom door. Sadly, the leaders often responsible for starting wars never pick up a weapon themselves. I met Sobek Tyboris' forces on the shores of the Nereus Peninsula and killed rival forces with my own hands. Because I had a duty to protect Fantasia, I'll be the first to tell you that it never should have come to that. There were 15 key battles in the Clash of Empires during the eight-year span leading up to the final battle in Olympia. If you did the reading, you should know them. What were they? Mr. Tremont, I knew you'd want to go first. The battle at Toporonicus. Good. That was the first one which kicked off the war. Sheba was victorious, due in part to their larger numbers, because it was fought on their soil. I hadn't yet joined the war effort. Ares was the first commander. He lost because he underestimated Sheba's strength. Plain and simple.
2: The air raid on the Violet Mountains.
1: Yep. That was Fantasia's first win of the war. The Violet Mountain air raid is an example of why I prefer commanding my forces from the ground. Flying is faster, yes, but everyone can see you coming and you have nowhere to hide. Our forces were able to lay siege to the Shebin's when they tried to fly through the mountain passes. Didn't work out too well for them.
2: The Battle on Themis. What's it called?
1: You're thinking about the Floating Isle conflicts. There were three total. Sheba was committed to gaining an air base on one of the floating islands over Kathara from which they could launch their raids. We lost everyone due to the incompetence of the air forces under Zeus's command. At the height of the war, Sheba had control of the air with Fantasia in their crosshairs. That's when I joined the war of The threat to the kingdom was too great for me to dismiss it.
0: The Maelstrom mission.
1: Well, not one of the key battles, but solid deep pool. You've been doing your reading. Sheepins won that one. The Maelstrom wasn't a big battle, but it was the first naval conflict in Fabella. I think it lasted all of five hours. After they gained control of the air, the Sheepins wanted to expand their dominion over the sea. Cathara is the only continent surrounded by water in the world, as you know. They hoped to have the sea and air under their control to force Fantasia into surrender. How are we doing on time? Let's briefly cover one more, but know that I'm going to have you list all 15 on the test. If you remember the Maelstrom mission, I'll give you extra credit. No one else? Hmm. Sounds like you guys have a lot of reading ahead of you. Going into the Battle of Olympia, Fantasia was down in the win count, 7 to 8. Sheba didn't yet have control of the ocean, but they would have if we lost the battle. It was real close, you guys. We were hanging by a thread. This battle meant everything to us. It's a damn good thing it was the final battle because I don't know if we could hold out much longer. We knew where the Sheban forces were making their attack runs and where they would make landfall. Even back then, you couldn't mask the movements of tens of thousands of soldiers. The Shebans planned on taking us by three major battlegrounds. This split up our forces and separated our commanders. It was a solid wartime strategy I give them kudos for. The first wave tried to take the city by the air and were met with Fantasia's air force commanded by Zeus over the city. The second wave was a bit larger, and marched on the city through the plains. They were stopped by Hades. I took on the third wave, largest of all, making their charge from the sea. Melsheba had the benefit of their bases on the three floating islands over North Cathara. Fantasia had the larger air force. Everyone in the air was an archer and had to know how to handle a bow, because much of the conflict was done from a long range. There was never a lot of close-quarter combat in the air. Wizards were best at this, because they had more abilities in their arsenal than just a typical arrow or javelin. The typical air force at the time was comprised of air chariots and archers on flying mounts, We learned from our past conflicts with the Shebans and Puntians before them that it was best to have two riders on these air chariots, one driver and one archer. Wizards like Zeus could ride a single hippogriff and discharge magic spells at the same time, but magic ability was still quite rare for the period. The air chariot was literally just a wheelless version of the chariot deployed on ground assaults. Riders were belted in to keep them from falling. It was terribly hard to see below you, and communication in the air was incredibly difficult. Drivers had to be vigilant and track their commanders through the sky with prearranged configurations. Every air chariot was pulled by a flying amount. You can name me those used by the military in the age of marvels. Miss Eversall, I saw your hand first.
2: Hippogriffs
1: Yes, yes, the hippogriff was extremely popular among Air Force members, and continues to be used by the military to this day. Mr Tremont, go ahead. Pegasus Yep. The Pegasus is swift and agile. Fastest among the flying mounts in Fabella. Who's next? Ah, Miss Hudson.
2: Dragons.
1: Yes, but they were extremely rare. It took a skilled rider back then to tame a dragon. You guys are still missing one notable animal. Griffins. There we go. Who said that? Warren again. Yes. Yes. Next to the Hippogriff, this close cousin to the Gryphon was also quite popular. River mounts for the battle included rocks, rope peritons, thunderbirds, and zizzes. What about brooms? Ah, uh, remember the history of your school's namesake. Saint Terra was the first rider on the Flying Broom. She didn't take to the air until the Age of Monsters. Apollo replaced Zeus as commander of the Arephos, and in just enough time to save Fantasia. Apollo was extremely talented at flying. No other Olympian could lead their troops into battle with such expert ease. He cut through Sheban's forces like a hot knife through butter. Huge nets had to be positioned over the entire city of Olympia to catch riders as they fell. People actually came out of their homes to sit on the grass and look at the bloodshed taking place directly over them. There were entire mobs of mothers and children in the streets and on rooftops. It's said that so much blood was spilled that drops fell like crimson rain. Writings from soldiers tell of snow driving into their faces. their hands freezing to the reins. Apollo cut off Sheba's forces by sending units to hide directly under the floating islands. When Sheban forces took flight, they were directly met with heavy opposition from Fantasia. It honestly wasn't even a fair fight. Enough went right for him that Apollo was able to secure a speedy victory even with a large number of inexperienced and undisciplined troops under his command. That's the thing you guys should remember about winning. You could have all the talent in the world over your opponent, but that doesn't mean anything if luck isn't on your side. Somehow, Apollo and Zeus always found themselves surrounded by great fortune. But life... Isn't always like that. Sometimes, life favors you. Other times, every inch gained is a battle. That's what it was like for Hades on his ground assault. Hades was the older brother of Zeus, and the two of them did not get along well at all. Zeus forced Hades to stay on Fabella, and harshly forbade him luxuries for other Olympians. The animosity between them was put aside for the battle, and Hades rode out to the plains with an army of 12,000 to defend Fantasia from certain invasion. Yes, Mr. Tremont, what is it now?
0: Professor Emmett, sir, I've always been confused why the dates of some historical figures seem to last hundreds, even thousands of years. You speak of Hades and Zeus as if they were children. But if my calculations are correct, both of them were hundreds of years old and should have been long dead by the time of the battle.
1: I'm going to stop you there. You've hit upon one of the secrets of the past I'm forbidden to tell. The Council of Twelve has made it known that this is information they don't want taught. If I were to tell you the truth, it would put this school in jeopardy, and that's a cost I'm not willing to pay. My suggestion is that you not dig any more into this issue, lest you want the council's attention. Drop it, and leave it alone. But I'll not warn you again, Mr. Tremont. That goes for all of you. Mention this again, and I'll have no choice but to send you to the main office and detention.
0: All I'm doing is asking a question.
1: You can't punish me for just... Get your books and get out of my classroom. Now, Mr. Tremont. This sucks. Don't forget I have sources throughout the school. If you take a detour, I'll know. Now, getting back to what I was saying. Hades met Sheba's 1,400 infantry troops on the Olympian Plains. It's all been developed now, save for Legacy Park. But at one time, the area was a vast, open region of grassland. Hades was outmaneuvered because he let his enemy choose the site of the battle. The Shebans were mostly mounted units with a mix of light and heavy cavalry. In contrast, Hades' Fantasian units were mostly battle-hardened infantry soldiers with no warlocks present except for him. The Shebans made the genius decision to hold back their cavalry forces over a hill to mask their true numbers. The Sheban infantry lured Hades' unit forward, and he took the bait. When Fantasian forces eclipsed the hill, They were met with leagues of enemy soldiers that they couldn't fight against and forced into a retreat. Hades did his best, but it just wasn't his day. Sheba was ready for them, and their military might just couldn't be overcome. Hades did his best to hold off the Sheban forces from breaking through his defenses and overwhelming the city, but his infantry was outmatched and couldn't gain an inch of battleground. The remaining Fantasian infantry forces were packed in shoulder to shoulder, doing all they could to force back the Sheban infantry for hours. The front lines were continually on the edge of death, but they held firm. The battlefront was still heavily contested up until the moment the Shebans were called to retreat by their commanders, a retreat. Instigated by yours truly.
0: You forced an entire army to retreat?
1: You calling me a liar? You've had class with me for three months. You should know that I'm strong enough to send hundreds of soldiers running with their tails between their legs. If my aggression could be measured on a chart of one to ten, you guys have only ever seen me at a soft two. When I turn it up to ten, I get things done. Ask Professor Toth about the rampage of 4112. He'll back me up. Now, here's what happened on the beach. Like I said, we knew where the sheep and navy was going to make landfall on the Nellius Peninsula leading up to the battle. I had my men dig this long trench over the tree line. It was here that I had my unit lay in wait. When the Sheban forces finally showed up, our merfolk forces engaged the Sheban navy in deeper water, while my archers took those who made it to the beach by surprise by striking at them from a distance behind the trees. Then I gave the order for my infantry to charge forward out of the trench to take the stragglers. Our front line was right in ankle-deep water, Every swing of the blade came with a splash of salt water. I had my infantry set up a phalanx along the shore. We weren't going to let any sheep in beyond the grass line. My javelin throwers and archers were towards the back, still in the trees, giving them cover to strike and trim the herd. So many flaming arrows were in the air that I mistook them for stars in the sky. Our forces were evenly matched, each side had 16,000 troops to start with, but we quickly whittled down the opposition. Hand-to-hand combat was grueling, you guys. Everyone was packed in so closely, swinging their fists and swords, while swarms of bodies floated up on the shore. In that situation, you just stab at anything that moves. Ogres and giants on both sides tossed soldiers like they were dolls. On land, we were doing great, but our navy suffered. Ancient naval warfare was fought by literally ramming ships into each other. Merfolk infantry on both sides clashed above and below the sea. They were crawling up and over warships like a bug infestation. The Sheban warships were better outfitted and fortified compared to those Fantasia had out at sea. The Shebans would ram their warships into Oz and send naval forces leaping aboard the deck for close hand-to-hand combat. It was chaos. Sobek Tiborus himself even showed up to watch the battle on his warship. The squads of Sheban infantry engaged with Hades needed their navy to land so they could get supplies to their troops. We knew that if we could choke the Shebans and cause them to starve, that would be enough to get them to turn back. And turn back they did, thanks to me. By the end of the battle, the water had turned crimson with the spill of blood.
2: You said this was the final battle of the war, but Sheba's forces were plenty strong enough to continue fighting, and didn't surrender. The war just kind of stopped for no apparent reason.
1: The reason, my dear, was because Tyborus got what he wanted in the first place.
0: They got their artifacts back.
1: Yep. I gave them back to Tiborus personally. Zeus was too preoccupied to realize all the Puntian artifacts were gone from the old temple. My main goal in fighting in the battle was to break through the Sheban defenses and have a little talk with Tiborus on his ship. So he just took the treasure back and left? Oh, not initially, but I can be quite persuasive. It's amazing what you can accomplish holding a knife to someone's throat. I I I probably shouldn't have told you guys that.
2: What did Zeus do to you when he found out?
1: Oh, he threw a fit and tried to have me tortured. I had plenty of connections with the Fantasian government and Olympians that he couldn't do anything to me. We avoided more unnecessary casualties, Fantasia was saved from invasion, and that was good enough for me. Like I said before, the whole war was Zeus's fault. Leadership is responsibility. If you can't conduct yourself as an adult, then you have no place being in power. History is more than just a study of the past. It is a call for you to learn from the mistakes of your ancestors, so that you can aspire to be something greater. I want that for you. And if you don't want to lead your life with real purpose and righteousness, I feel sorry for you. I really do. If you take nothing else away from this class, remember that. Class dismissed.
0: Okay guys, I'm going to have to hold off on performing Emmett's voice now so I don't do major damage to my vocal cords. Here's to all the teachers, near and far, adapting to the changing times to do their job. The world owes you a great debt of gratitude. The next episode is in two weeks. If you can't wait that long, books are available on Amazon in ebook and paperback. Exclusive content is available at patreon.com Fabella. Archives of Fabella is created, hosted, and edited by Dylan Foley, with music by Garrett Ferris and Audioblocks. As always, look outside of what is possible, and think about what might be.